What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 71 of the Flea Flicker NFL show. It is extremely hot out here in Eagles country, and we've been on a short hiatus, but this is only this is going to be my first solo podcast in a long time. It's just going to be me, your host, Ari Mumar, and I will not be joined by my great co-host, Amal Ronak, today. But that's mostly because there really isn't a lot to talk about right now in NFL news. I mean, that we have trade rumors and Rodgers apparently playing golf with Tom Brady soon and Phil Nicholson and some other guy I don't know I'm not a big golfing guy but really there isn't that much news but the one biggest news that came out and it came out I think two days ago yesterday something like that was where Julio Jones or rather um, Sterling Sharp now Shannon Sharp I always mess those two brothers up Shannon Sharp was on his show Undisputed and he called Julio Jones, the wide receiver of the Atlanta Falcons, live on air. And Julio Jones pretty much said, yeah, bro, I'm out of this bitch. I, he doesn't want to play for Atlanta anymore. He doesn't want to play for Dallas either because he wants to go to a winning team. Yeah, Julio Jones will get, will most likely get traded this season. And the thing is, Atlanta has to trade him because they need to get under the cap for this season. They're just in cap hell. They have to get rid of him, and they need to get rid of him for some pretty good return on uh, investment and capital, which means probably a first-round pick. Now, right now, if you traded, and Julio Jones won't get traded for a while, but if Julio Jones does get traded, he's going to be traded post-June or June 6th, I believe it is, where if that happens, then $15 million of like $15 million of his salary will get converted and that will go to the new team that he will be traded to. And right now, according to spottrack.com, there are 13 teams that I think have a legitimate chance of getting Julio Jones. And we're going to just list off some of the ones that I think are highly unlikely, but these are the 13 teams. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns, the Washington football team, the Denver Broncos, the LA Chargers, the Detroit Lions, the San Francisco 49ers, the New England Patriots. I don't know how the Patriots still have money after they literally bought everyone in free agency, but I guess they do. The uh, Carolina Panthers, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Arizona Cardinals have $13.6 million, so that would put them just shy of the Julio Jones sort of market, but DeAndre Hopkins has come out and said that he would be willing to take a pay cut. And honestly, you're pretty early on in the like sort of offseason, and you can just cut some guys and make a lot of free space. So those 13 teams, to me, are the most likely to trade for Julio Jones. Now, I want to talk about why I think some teams won't trade for him. I'm going to start go in order for the teams that I just don't think it makes any sense for, starting with the Jaguars and the Jets. Both the Jaguars and the Jets, I don't think Julio Jones would want to go there. Julio Jones wants to win now. And yeah, I think it would make sense to a degree for both those teams to trade for Julio Jones, getting an experienced weapon to help your young quarterback. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks like Sam Darnold fail. Car- Carson Wentz, if you want to say he failed in Philadelphia, uh, even though he had successes, uh, you can make that argument because they didn't have weapons around him. Gardner Minshew, I mean, he, he played decent, but he also lacked weapons around him. Because of that, he was never able to take that quote-unquote second, like, next step. Uh, I, I don't even know if Gardner Minshew has a next step in him, but you can definitely make the argument that he was held back by not having the best coaching staff and not having the best weapons. And I think 
it makes sense for both the Jaguars and Jets to get someone like Julio Jones to help their young quarterbacks and help them translate to the next level in the NFL. That being said, they're not win-now teams, and Julio Jones would never accept that trade. Julio Jones does not have a no-trade clause in his contract, but he pretty much will control his own destiny. It only makes sense. The Falcons are going to do him nice. He's been on their team for like 10 years now. And also, I think one thing that's worth noting with Julio Jones, Julio Jones is not A.J. Green. And the reason I say that is because both of them, I believe, I'm going to look it up real quick. Julio Jones right now is 32 years old. And A.J. Green is also 32 years old. Both those guys were in the same 2011 NFL draft class, right? And some people are thinking, you know, why would I want to trade for Julio Jones? He's washed. He's he's injury prone. He's old. He's not going to have that many years. A.J. Green was all those things. And I loved A.J. Green in his prime. He was phenomenal. But A.J. Green did become injury prone. And he did become a worse football player. And he's playing with the Cardinals right now, which is kind of funny. If Julio Jones does get traded to Arizona eventually, that would be incredible. But right now, A.J. Green is not Julio Jones. Julio Jones has way more, he has way less injury history, just flat out. And he also has better production on the field. He's more reliable. He's probably not a top three wide receiver like he once was. I mean, for the longest time, it was him and Antonio Brown for like five years. And that was the debate between who was the two best wide receivers in the NFL. With DeAndre Hopkins thrown in occasionally, Michael Thomas. But really... A.J. Green and Julio Jones are not the same player. Julio Jones is just way better. And Julio Jones can be a great asset for a win-now team. But I think the Jaguars and Jets, they are not a win-now team. And they are both rebuilding teams. Like Getting Julio Jones wouldn't make that much sense for both of them. Now, the Cincinnati Bengals, they wouldn't make this trade because even though they have a ton of cap space, they won't make it because they have a stacked wide receiver depth chart. With guys like Jamar Chase, who they just drafted from LSU in the first round. You have the LSU connection with him and Joe Burrow. You have T. Higgins, former second rounder for last year. I think he was drafted the 33rd overall pick. So essentially a first rounder. Great talent and had a great rookie year. Almost 1,000 yards with some quarterback issues after Joe Burrow went down. Tyler Boyd is a great slot wide receiver. You have Auden Tate. You have weapons there. I think adding... Julio Jones wouldn't take that offense to the next step because I think they need to work on, first of all, protecting Joe Burrow and establishing a good running game and, you know, working on that defense, trying to get a better run defense. Now, the Cleveland Browns wouldn't work for me because it's unnecessary. The the Browns don't need a wide receiver to win. They have Odo Beckham Jr. They have Jarvis Landry. They have Rashard Higgins. They have Donovan Peoples-Jones. Baker Mayfield got the job done with these guys. Even when OBJ was hurt, Julio Jones is unnecessary for the Cleveland Browns. What they needed was defensive help, and they got defensive help in this draft and free agency class. I I think signing someone like Julio Jones would be unnecessary where they could spend some of that money. They have $21 million right now. They could spend that money on depth because they have a phenomenal starting roster. But if those players get hurt, I think the Cleveland Browns could be in trouble because I do believe this is like their Super Bowl year. Uh, If they don't capitalize... Uh, with by having good depth, like teams like say the the Niners, who they got extremely hurt, had phenomenal depth, where it was still able to make the Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles back in 2017 they lost a quarterback, tackle, safety, linebacker. They're still able to make the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Depth is the most important thing I think behind like initial starting talent. 
And I, I think they need to definitely improve that. And I think that's what they should be focusing on rather than bringing in another superstar. Now, the Denver Broncos, to me, wouldn't make a lot of sense because they have a huge quarterback hole. I don't think Julio Jones would allow that trade. And also, the Denver Broncos are a really damn good team. They don't need wide receivers. They have a player named Cortland Sutton coming back from injury. Phenomenal jump ball wide receiver. I honestly believe like there's an argument to have to have between him and Tyreek Hill and Keenan Allen, I suppose, being those three being the best receivers in that respective division, the AFC West. I think it's definitely those three, and they're both phenomenal players, all three of them. Then you have someone like Deshaun Hamilton, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy. You don't have you don't need wide receivers. What you don't need defense either, honestly. You just need a quarterback. And I don't think Julio Jones would allow that trade. And I don't think getting a wide receiver uh, when you know you don't have a quarterback makes any sense. I, like for me, the Denver Broncos are just in sort of in a win, not in win now mode, but it's sort of similar to what I think is happening with the New York Giants. Whereas they, the Giants, their GM Dave Gettleman and their uh, head coach, uh, Joe Judge, they were like, you know what? You know who held us back last season? It was Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. So instead of getting rid of him in year three, let's, first of all, he's going to be in his second year with the same scheme with his offensive coordinator and longtime uh, Cowboys head coach, um, Jerry, not Jerry Jones, the Clapper, whatever his name is. I can't remember his name right now, but... They had the clapper, and I honestly think that what they could do, what what the, the Giants are doing is they're trying to build weapons around Danny Dimes, and they want to make it so if Danny Dimes fails, it's on him. And I think it's going to be a similar situation with the with the Denver Broncos because honestly, whatever you say about Drew, Brock, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, I would rather start Drew Locke because he has some sort of a ceiling. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have a ceiling, and I... I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is good enough to win playoff, like win, make the playoffs or win playoff games, even with a great Denver Broncos roster. I think they need to work on focusing on that quarterback, and they're trying to make it so if Drew Locke fails this season, then it's on Drew Locke. Then we know we can move on, and we're going to have assets to move on from. The Detroit Lions, they're not going to do it because they're not a win-now team. They're probably the most rebuilding team in the league right now. It doesn't make any sense for them. The New England Patriots, I don't think they're going to do it because, again, they have quarterback issues. I don't think they're sort of a win-now team. They invested a ton of capital on two tight ends, uh, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, and two wide receivers, Kenrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, along with a few other wide receivers they have there, Tamir Beard, namely. Uh, I think they don't need wide receivers currently. They need... They need sort of stability at quarterback, and I think Mac Jones is going to give that to them. But they also have uncertainty. I don't think Julio Jones would want to go to that team that isn't a true juggernaut right now. The Carolina Panthers, they're also in the same boat, similar to, to the um, the Cincinnati Bengals, where they don't need a quarterback. They don't need a wide receiver. They just drafted Terrence Marshall out of LSU. They have Robbie Anderson. They have DJ Moore. Again, they're sort of an, another rebuilding team. They have Sam Donald, so that's quarterback question marks. Julio Jones would not allow that. Now, these are the five teams that I'm going to throw in. I, I, we just went through all the teams I think aren't don't have a shot for training for Julio Jones. Like They had the money, but I don't think they have anything else really. But I'm going to go over five teams, and I'm going to throw in a sleeper team because they've been talked about a lot. Um, 
when it comes to the Julio Jones sweepstakes. And I'm going to start out with my favorite team for Julio Jones. It's going to be the LA Chargers. The LA Chargers have a great roster, in my opinion. They needed to work on the offensive line. They did it. They're going to get Durbin James back. They have great secondary. Uh, they just replaced Casey Hayward with Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round. I love everything that they did. They have Chris Harris there, too. Like Overall, their defense, Kenneth Murray, I think their defense is going to be really good. Their offense is going to be really good, too, because they had the reigning offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert. And that's why I really think that Julio Jones would fit out there with in L.A. Because they have two good wide receivers already. Keenan Allen's more of a slot wide receiver, I believe he plays. I looked up the number beforehand. I think it's like 45% of his snaps he plays are in the slot. So... Keenan Allen's a great player. He's not an outside receiver all the time. And if you want, you can move Julio Jones inside and outside. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Keenan Allen will play that slot role for you. And he's a great slot wide receiver. Great outside. He does whatever you want. He can do it at a high level. Julio Jones will play the outside wide receiver role. Wide receiver X. He's the number one wide receiver. And Mike Williams will be the wide receiver too. The outside wide receiver. And if Mike Williams get hurt, then guess what? You have an insurance policy with Julio Jones. I think they need another sort of offensive weapon. They lost Hunter Henry in free agency. They have another elite pass catcher here. Uh, they have Darius Guyton, uh, or Jalen Guyton, rather. I think his name is. He's a field stretcher down there or over there in L.A. I really like this fit in L.A. because I think getting another offensive weapon, this Chargers team is low-key a win-now team. I think they have a chance to win the division this year, like legitimately, or at least make the playoffs Similar to what the Bucks did this year, where they went, they didn't win the division, the NFC South, but they still made it to the Super Bowl. I think if Justin Herbert takes that next step and he gets protection and they're able to run the ball effectively, which they should be able to with all the offensive line adjustments they made and additions, I think adding Julio Jones could be that extra sort of pushing point or like that catalyst to help bring them over the edge to where they can be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I really like that fit for them. Now, my second favorite team would be the Indianapolis Colts. And it's for the same exact reasons, right? How, why did Carson Wentz fail, or quote-unquote fail in Philly? It's because he didn't have weapons, right? He, he had Nelson Aguilar, who was inconsistent with his hands. Alshon Jeffrey was good for one year, then got old. Deshaun Jackson never saw the field. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside sucked. Like All these weapons were questionable at best for Carson Wentz. Now, if they decided, the Indianapolis Colts and their GM decided, uh, you know what? Let's go after Julio Jones. Why? Why not? Just get another explosive weapon for your team. Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, they know that Carson Wentz, right now he needs to build up his confidence, Carson Wentz. And getting a player like Julio Jones who can bail out a quarterback or just make life easier because his route running is phenomenal, his catch radius is you know, incredible as well. You can get that. Guess what? Carson Wentz's confidence is going to be sky high. And T.Y. Hilton will be that deep threat. You have Michael Pittman there, uh, who's another sort of, I guess, kind of in the mold of Julio Jones, another big outside body wide receiver. Not as fast as Julio Jones, but another jump ball threat who's pretty good after the catch. I think right there with uh, Julio Jones in Indy, they're also another win-now team. They made, they made the playoffs already. I think Carson Wentz plus Julio Jones, that addition will... First of all, if Carson Wentz sucks, you, you know it's because of Carson Wentz, and it's not because of all the issues that were in Philly back in 2020. It's because of Carson Wentz, right? But Carson Wentz, honestly, he, if he fails, that's on him, but I don't think he will fail if you get Julio Jones. 
that team is going to be so explosively like offensive. They had one of the best defenses in football last year. I expect that to carry over this year as well. I don't think anything's going to change. Though they did lose Jonathan, um, Jonathan God, uh, their former, the former DC. The uh, he's currently the Eagles DC. Jonathan Gannon. They lost him, so maybe you can see some slight regression just coming up with a new scheme or whatever it might be with Indy. But their defense is going to be phenomenal, and that offense is going to be able to win a legitimate Super Bowl if they have a player like Julio Jones there. Now, my third favorite team, and all these teams I really want to see, these top three teams I really want to see, the Arizona Cardinals. They don't have the money right now, but they do have the draft capital. as well. All these teams have a first-round pick to trade for. Uh, Indy might not if the Carson Wentz thing works out, but at the very least, they could probably trade a second and maybe a 2022, 2023 first-round pick, whatever it might be. Arizona has the draft capital. They're gonna make they're gonna make room for him with DeAndre Hopkins, guaranteed. And why did like what happened to the Cardinals last season? Like their defense to me will improve, right? But what happened to them? They got J.J. Watt as they assume in second year. Like I think their defense is gonna improve. You're gonna get Chandler Jones back, but their offense is what stalled out in that second half of the season. Kyler Murray just flat out disappointed me. Uh, there's no other way of saying it. That offense sort of got figured out. Larry Fitzgerald was in the slot. He played decently. But other than that, like DeAndre Hopkins had his moments. But it was really inconsistencies from the offense. Not, be able to, not being able to run the ball, I feel like, on the ground effectively. It just didn't really make that much sense. And I think Kyler Murray for me isn't sort of a question mark. Like I think he's a great player. and He's not sort of on the Daniel Jones, Drew Locke hot seat. Just talking about two quarterbacks from the same draft class. But that being said who I think is on the hot seat is the head coach of the in Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe getting another offensive weapon like Julio Jones will help unlock that offense and maybe that will help them become legitimate playoff team because they finished, I think, 9-7 and seven last season, missed the playoffs. They sucked to end that season and they just, they, they went on, a, they went on a tear earlier. They went like 4-2 and two, and then they just collapsed. Uh, honestly, it was, it's, it was tough to watch. The Cardinals, though, can be a win-now team if they get Julio Jones. And I think, again, Kyler Murray is going to only be happier that he has another wide receiver to throw to, another legitimate top-five wide receiver. He's going to be able to run the ball more effectively because defenses are going to be focusing more on Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. Who do you double-team in that sense? Like, okay, it's because that's two top-five wide receivers. Who do, you, who do you double-team? You can't. You're going to have Rondell Moore. That offense would be extremely explosive, and they would be a legitimate NFC championship contender in my opinion now for me the fourth team is another nfc west team the 49ers and the 49ers are sort of they're a very interesting and intriguing intriguing team because they're sort of in a win now mode but they had their quarterback of the future as well their win now mode is with jimmy garoppolo jimmy garoppolo gives you the best chance to win right now train lance is just far too raw in 2021 to start and if he does start I think you'll have some success, but I think you're going to reap the rewards from letting him sit and giving him patience. I think that's one of the things that NFL coaches and teams get wrong. And it's because everyone's job is on the line. These owners just want to win and they're not really waiting to be patient. I think that you need to be patient with Trey Lance and he won't start. Jimmy Garoppolo will start. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback who can win games and can make a Super Bowl and potentially win a Super Bowl, right? Getting Julio Jones you have Debo Samuel, you have uh, Brandon Ayuk. Both those guys 
are sort of gimmicky players. You have Travis Kelsey, right? Get adding Julio Jones to the 49ers gives them a legitimate top five wide receiver. And you're gonna have like what two top ten like receiving threats with him and Travis Kelsey. Again, who do you double team on that offense? The only problem with the Niners is they had the money, but they don't have a first round pick for next year or the year afterwards because of the Trey Lance trade. So it's gonna be hard for them to navigate those waters, right? But if they do make this trade happen, they should be favorites, I think, to win the NFC West uh, as long as injuries don't happen again because their entire team was decimated last season. But as long as injuries don't happen, I think they could legitimately be a like Super Bowl contender as well. And all these teams are, I'm saying are Super Bowl contenders, that's if they get Julio Jones because I think all of them have legitimate quote-unquote holes, I think, or question marks about their offense. And I think Julio Jones can answer all these question marks. Now, my fifth team, and this is probably the worst team on this list, is the Washington football team. And the reason I say this is because the Washington football team has a phenomenal defense. And they're honestly a really good, well-balanced, well, sort of like a strong foundation for a team. But they lack another wide receiver outside of Terry McLaurin. They did bring in longtime Panthers wide receiver Curtis Samuel. But he's more of a gimmicky player. You can give him handoffs, screens. He's that type of sort of... The, he's sort of the player that uh, Kyle Shanahan loves. Uh, he, he's going to be that weapon. He's not He's not necessarily a wide receiver. He's an offensive weapon. I think Julio Jones gives you another phenomenal wide receiver along with Terry McLaurin. And that offense to me is the question for the Washington football team. I think they could be legit, a legitimate playoff team, maybe win some games. But the thing that, that holds this back and makes me lots excited is because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. We all know Ryan Fitzpatrick. At his highs, he's arguably like a top five quarterback. At his worst, he's a backup. So th- those inconsistencies are probably why Julio Jones wouldn't allow that trade. And also why I, as a fan, would be kind of sort of felt like that it was lackluster if that trade happened. And my last team, it's it's a dark horse. And it's because this team only has $3.6 million in cap space. But it is, it's the Tennessee Titans, dude. The Tennessee Titans, they have A.J. Brown. They lost Corey Davis. They lost John Smith. They need another wide receiver outside of Julio Jones, of A.J. Brown, who also wears number 11 conveniently. And it was also been sliding into those DMs of Julio Jones trying to recruit him, which I respect massively. If they get Julio Jones, this offense is going to take off. You're gonna ha- you're gonna improve from Corey Davis exponentially. You're gonna still have a great uh, a great running game. You're gonna be able to help Ryan Tannehill sort of maintain his consistency because Ryan Tannehill ha- like Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback. I think he's very much improved by the weapons around him, and I think similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I think he's just a way better quarterback. I think that if you got him, I think Louis Jones would love that trade because I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a good quarterback. They're probably going to win the division, the NAFC South. And I think that Julio Jones would make them a legitimate like an AFC championship team. They have a run game. I think they improved their defense kind of well. I like what they I like what they had there in Tennessee, and I think Julio Jones would be sort of that missing piece of sort of be that missing piece on offense to help them win or at least make a Super Bowl. So yeah, that those are my, fa- uh, I guess, top six favorite landing spots for Julio Jones. Again, it's the LA Chargers, the Colts, the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Washington football team, that dark horse team that has to make a lot of money 
uh, in cap space to get him, but it, it's the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to take a break, you guys. That was a pretty long segment, and I'm kind of tired right now, but I'm going to take a, bri- a break, and I'll be right back. Thanks for listening. back just had to drink of water you know stretch my legs all that fun stuff but yeah I, I was just talking about the Colts previously and there was this one fun video that was circulating around NFL Twitter and Instagram and it it's the, their quarterback Carson Wentz playing a game of knockout like the basketball game uh, with the tight end Moali Cox who's actually a former basketball player I did know that before I watched the video and I guess I should have expected Mo Ali Cox to win, and he did win. But I just got to say, the body language of Carson Wentz, dude, is so different. And I, I, I'm an Eagles fan, so I have, like, I guess a quote-unquote a quote, inside eye on this, or inside knowledge, whatever you want to say. His body language in Indy is just so different. And it's not only this this sort of moment of him playing knockout with his teammates and everyone like celebrating around him. And him just, you know, having a genuine smile on his face. But the thing that's different, it's not just that. It's it's like he, it's been consistent. And for me, that I first noticed this in an interview that he had with Pat McAfee on the Pat McAfee show right after, like, the trade, I guess. Right after, I guess, he moved to Indy. And he was just so happy. And, like, he was just cracking jokes in that interview and he, he, definitely, he definitely seemed like a likable guy. And he just overall just seemed to be happy that he was here in Indy instead of out there or out here rather in Philly. And to me, I think for me, this just shows that I don't think Carson Wentz will fail in Indy for a few reasons. And the reason he failed in sort of Philly, or the first one I think was because he had no trust in the management and the management or at least he felt that the management had no trust in him. And this obviously happened in the biggest form in, of the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts, a backup quarterback in the second round. And then on top of that, the organization just consistently failed to put weapons around Carson Wentz. Uh, they, they missed on JJ Ortega Whiteside. They could never get DeAndre Hopkins when he was on the train and when they desperately needed a wide receiver, just everything about the Eagles situation Carson Wentz had no faith in the organization. The organization, he thought that the organization had no faith in him. They didn't put enough around him for him to succeed, and I think that's just going to change in Indy. Just the first interview that Frank Reich has had uh, since the trade, the first thing he's talking about, he's going to bat for his guy, dude, and I love it. He's going like he, he's just keeps saying things like, "I can't believe people are doubting Carson Wentz," and the fact that people are going to act like Carson Wentz won't succeed he's here is just like blasphemy. You can clearly tell Frank Reich has a strong relationship with Carson Wentz. Obviously, they were both here in Philly during the Super Bowl season in 2016, as well as rookie season, Carson Wentz's rookie season. And I think a, a sort of an underrated thing here is that Carson Wentz feels appreciated. And at the end of the day, yeah, football is a game, but it's about people. And people is sort of what drives everything, interactions and being a good person. And I think Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, they're clearly putting their faith in Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz feels that. Carson Wentz has the work ethic. I mean, we all we, we all heard his stories, and maybe we didn't, but his stories of him coming in at 5 a.m. as a rookie and grinding and working with quarterback gurus and all that. 
I don't think it's a work ethic issue with Carson Wentz. I think it's an issue of him just not having faith. And because of that, that sort of sort of maybe subconsciously or maybe consciously impacting his play on the field. But his body language from here in Indy to Philly is different. His body language in Philly, he just seems so disgruntled all the time. And it ranged from anger to just him sort sort of sitting on it by himself on the sideline with his head down to, you know, just sadness almost. It, it, it was just not like a positive body language. And I think that's going to change in Indy. We've already seen it change with him sort of being happy that he's there. And I just really think that the, the Colts are going to fix the two problems with Carson Wentz. Both of them are mental. Uh, one of them is mental, actually. First one is I think they're going to put faith in him, and I think Carson Wentz knows that. He has a strong relationship with Frank Reich. I don't, I don't know if people know this, but both of them are pretty strong Catholics, or Christians, rather, and they spend a lot of time praying together. I think that's sort of another added bonus, and and added forward to the relationship that I think is going to help strengthen it. Carson Wentz believes in Frank Reich. Frank Reich believes in Carson Wentz. Chris Ballard believes in both of them. They both believe in Chris Ballard. And Chris Ballard is putting weapons around Carson Wentz, and that's why I really want them to trade for Julio Jones. I think that would be a phenomenal showing of trust for Carson Wentz. And I really just think that Carson Wentz will succeed in Indy. I think it's not even a matter of if. I just think it's going to be when. Like how long will it be in the season until we see him taking that next step and returning back to maybe not an MVP form, but being a really damn good quarterback for the Colts. Now, the NFL draft just happened, and we all know what happened here uh, in the NFL draft. Big names like Trevor Lawrence getting drafted, and lots of draft sort of surprises. The Bears getting Justin Fields and trading up for him was the biggest surprise for me. And that's to me, is still the best move in the entire NFL draft. But I think that there, there, there are some teams that I really like their draft. And I'm just going to talk about them because I think they need to, I guess people aren't really talking about them because they're sort of underrated teams and like, they're not going to be, most of them are not going to be win now teams or they're not going to be the win most games this season. But I think they, they're definitely worth talking about. And the first team for me was the Detroit Lions. And Dan Campbell, he automatically gave this sort of football, I don't know how to say this, like a hard-nosed football vibe. He gives you that idea of being like that hard-nosed coach and he's going to build the trenches and he's going to rely on the team, maybe not out-scheming their opponents, but out-physically, like man, like out-physicaling them. He's, he's going to rely on you just being a bigger mammoth of a man or just being stronger or whatever it might be, physically more physically talented. He's just going to be a hard-nosed type of coach, and I think that's what Dan Campbell is bringing to Detroit, right? And Detroit's not going to be win now. And I think the biggest, uh, I've said this before, I think the biggest failure of NFL teams is not giving patience, and I think Dan Campbell will be given patience. He's been giving a six-year deal uh, for the Detroit Lions, and I think it's going to take patience for his, and it's going to take time for his sort of mentality and his culture to set into Detroit. They had Matt Patricia there, and that culture was just extremely toxic. I mean, he had beef with former players with Dar- like Darius Slay, and it just like they didn't get the job done on the field. And I don't think really that I don't think Matt Patricia did himself any favors in the eyes of public opinion, at least in Detroit. But I think Dan Campbell, he, he's going to establish that hard-nosed football uh, mentality. And I think we saw that with his draft picks in his first ever draft class. 
what what did they draft? They drafted offensive line and defensive line, building the trenches. That's just like that's the definition of out physically, sort of being the bigger physical force than the other team. Out physicaling them. I keep saying that. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm gonna keep saying it because why not? It's my show. He's gonna keep out physicaling his opponents, and he did that by drafting Penesol, the offensive tackle, with the first pick and out of Oregon. He's probably going to be a, maybe a Hall of Fame tackle, but he definitely has Hall of Fame traits. Kind of raw, but this guy can move better than anyone in this class. He's physically stronger than anyone in this class. The tools he has is ridiculous. He just needs to be coached up and given patience. And I, Again, my entire thing for the Detroit Lions team is going to be patience. If they have patience, I think eventually this rebuild will work. And I think giving Panay Sewell patience is important. Secondly, and their next two picks, they drafted Levi and Uzurike. And Aleem McNeil out of uh, NC State and Washington's, uh, I think Washington State, Washington, I think. Both of these guys are defense tacklers. Both of them, I think, are kind of different defensive tacklers, but they both bring that sort of unrelenting attitude. I think Levi and Wuzurike is more of a, for me, he's more of a disruptor, pocket crusher. Uh, he's extremely quick, first step. He knows how to. He's got double teamed a lot in Washington, and he still beat these offensive tackles uh, and guards and centers all day. They line him up as nose tackle. He's not a nose tackle. He's like two ninety five, too small to play nose tackle. But he has elite quickness and athleticism and drive and hustle, uh, and I think that's what he's going to bring to that team. And I think Ali McNeil is going to bring sort of more of that nose tackle role, more uh, more of uh, he's going to be more of that anchor. I think to that line where I don't know if he's going to get a lot of sacks per se, but I think he's going to be a consistent run, a strong run defender, and he's going to be a defensive tackle who you can't move. He's just going to be consistently taking up one or two blockers and opening enough for other pass rushers. I love the all three of those moves. Then they decide to pair up um, Jeff Okuda, their former first-round pick from last season, uh, the corner out of Ohio State. They decide to pair him up with Ifiatu Malafanu. Uh, his brother, I think, is Obi Malafanu, former corner, um, and people are comparing him. Uh, Obi was a bust, I think, more because he didn't have the drive to be a good player, I think. And I think if you ought to will, and even if he doesn't, what you're getting, I think, in the fourth round, you're getting a long, tall, like six foot three zone, like cover three corner who moves exceptionally, exceptionally well for his size. I love that. Pairing him up with Jeff Okuda, they already have, um, they have another corner there. I'm going to look it up real quick. But they have another corner there who was also pretty good from what I remember. And I think they're just going to like they're going to focus on building this line and building the defense, I think, is what they're going to focus on. They have Amani or Oruwarie. That team is just going to have a lot of difficult names to pronounce. Amani Oruwarie, Ifiatu Malafanu, um, Jeffrey Okuda, not really that hard to pronounce, but they have Big V, Halapuli Vati Vaitai. Uh, that's that's going to be a fun name, fun team when it comes to names. But uh, they're going to build through the trenches. They've already done that in this draft, and they're trying to establish a rock wall in front of whoever the quarterback is. They have Jonah Jackson. They gave Frank Ragnall, their center, a, a long-term deal. Taylor Decker is a good player, and now drafting Panesa Wall to probably play right tackle, maybe left tackle. They're just building a wall of China in front of whoever their quarterback is. Right now it's Jared Goff. Might not be Jared Goff in the center in the future, but they're trying to build a strong line to be able to run the ball, which they weren't able to do consistently with DeAndre Swift, and to protect their quarterback and get it in these hands of these playmakers. And they don't have a lot of playmakers on their team. They lost uh Kenny Galladay, they lost Marvin Jones, 
But to replace that, they got Amon or St. Brown in the fourth or fifth round, slot wide receiver out of USC. I like him. I think he could be a legitimate contributor day one. Then they went out and got some bigger, big body wide receivers, Sean Amon Allison in free agency, Sage Surratt, an undrafted free agent out of uh, Wake Forest. This guy, his entire game is just back shoulder fades and jump balls. They need an outside presence. And I really like this draft. I think they're establishing a strong identity. They're trying to come up with a core built around their defensive line and offensive line. And I think it's a smart way to build your team. And I think if the Lions are patient with this team, I think that it's going to work out. They need to build a culture. And I don't know if Jared Goff is going to be their quarterback of the future. But the thing is, they have two first-round picks next, uh, I think. Uh, do they have? They do have. I think they do have multiple first-round picks uh, in future seasons where they can trade Jared Goff or they can trade up for another quarterback next year in 2022, 2023. Uh, like they, they have the ability to move up in the future, draft their future quarterback if Jared Goff isn't the guy. And I expect Jared Goff to not be the guy. I think he'll be decent. But I think they had the capital to move up for their quarterback. They're building through the lines and they're sort of establishing a good culture. They want to run the ball and stop the run, and I think they're going to do that, and they're going to be able to pass efficiently with T.J. Hawkinson as well. I really loved what the Detroit Lions did when it comes to establishing a core around their around their rookie head coach. Now, another draft I really liked was the Baltimore Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens, to me, their biggest holes last season was them not being able to throw the ball consistently. They had Hollywood Brown, and I know he had a great walk-off, not really a walk-off, but a great touchdown, deep touchdown, right after Lamar Jackson came back from um, cramps uh, against uh, Cleveland. He had a great deep touchdown, and he had his moments, but Hollywood Brown is not a wide receiver one, and I think (laughs) they realized that, and they decided, the Baltimore Ravens organization decided, that we need to go wide receivers. And they went and with their first round pick, they drafted, who did they draft? They drafted Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. And then in their fourth round, they drafted Talon Wallace, the wide receiver out of OK State. I love both those players. I think Talon Wallace is going to be a very underrated player for this team. He was a great jump ball wide receiver, decent route runner in uh, with Oklahoma State. I think he's going to be a really good playmaker for this team when given the opportunity to be... Uh, a legitimate, I think, outside wide receiver along with Rashad Bateman. I think putting Hollywood Brown on the slot or just letting him be a solo deep threat and letting these two guys play the more possession roles and moving the chains more consistently, I think this is the year that if their passing game doesn't take a step forward with the year four in year four with Lamar Jackson, then it probably won't ever take another step, just to be flat out honest. And I think if they take a fl- take another step, I think that this team is going to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Uh, and you, we, we've said they haven't made a Super Bowl contender, mainly because they haven't been able to pass the ball. If they get down, you can't rely on Lamar Jackson and these lackluster weapons to get back uh, quickly. And I think getting these two big wide receivers is going to help that. And they also lost a lot of edge players. Um, and they lost mainly... Forgetting who they lost, they lost Yannick. They lost a lot of edge players for the uh, Titus Bowser for the Ravens, and they decided. Guess what? We've been really good at developing edges, so we're going to draft the most raw and the most athletic edge to potentially ever come out ever in an NFL draft. Jason Owe out of Penn uh, out of Penn State. I really like that. For me, Jason Owe would really only fit in two places. It was either him uh, in Baltimore or Minnesota. Both of those teams know how to develop raw edge players, and I think that's another great draft pick. 
And then they went out and they solidified the offensive line with Ben Cleveland. Um, they got uh, Alejandro, Alejandro Villanueva. They got Kevin Zeitler in free agency. All those moves to help run the ball more effectively and protect protect Lamar Jackson so he can actually throw to these new weapons. I love what the Baltimore Ravens did. And I think their pass offense is bound to take a leap forward. And if it doesn't, then it, it just will never take that next leap forward. And they probably will never win a Super Bowl, to be honest, because of that. Now, for me, the third team I want to talk about, it's the Carolina Panthers. And I talked about Sam Darnold before. Sam Darnold failed because he had a terrible, terrible coaching, just flat out terrible coaching. He had a poor offensive line, and he had no weapons. And what did the Panthers do? They brought in Sam Darnold. They already had a great coach here with Joe Brady, former uh, LSU passing game coordinator. Uh, he did phenomenal things with, like, who did they have a quarterback last year? Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater should not have, they shouldn't have been as close as they were offensively to a lot of these teams. And I think Joe Brady is the main sort of contributing factor for them being a pretty decent offense last season without Christian McCaffrey, right? Now, weapons. They went out and drafted Terrence Marshall out of LSU. Phenomenal, phenomenal player, dude. This guy, great jump ball wide receiver. Has a pretty good speed for someone who's like 6'3", 6'4". Jump ball wide receiver, speed, decent route running, good hands. He can be a legitimate wide receiver one. And he, he could be like, if I'm comping someone to Julio Jones, it's Terrence Marshall. I'll be honest. Terrence Marshall, what he brings athletically is great. He's not the same athlete as Julio Jones, but he's close. I'll probably comp him more to Kenny Galladay, honestly, like a faster Kenny Galladay, but I really like that pick. You have Robbie Anderson, former running mate in New York. DJ Moore, David Moore. Uh, DJ Moore is more of a, rat, a yak guy. DJ David Moore played pretty good when he had limited snaps in Seattle. CMC coming back. Tommy Tremble, an extremely athletic tight end out of Notre Dame. Why did he fail? Because he didn't have weapons and he didn't have coaching. And he didn't have a line. They solved those first two issues. And then they drafted Brady Crimson in the third round. Tackle out of BYU. An elite pass blocker from what I saw on film. I really like what the Panthers did. They realized that, first of all, they need to help their quarterback, right? They did that by getting a good coach. They already had one, I guess. But they, they're going to bring – that coaching is going to help Sam Ronald be a better player. They're going to build the line, which they already did. And they're going to get better weapons for Sam Darnold. And the second – I think the fourth point I want to make here is they realize that they're in a high-flying offensive sort of division. With the Saints where you have Michael Thomas and you have – you know, the trio wide receivers in Tampa Bay with A.B., Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. And in Atlanta, you have Chris Godwin. Uh, you have, not Chris Godwin, you have uh, Ridley, Calvin Ridley. You have Julio Jones. Like, you, ha uh, you have Kyle, Kyle Pitts, obviously. You have weapons in the NFC South. And they went out and drafted Jeff Okuda, who was, uh, not Jeff Okuda, they went out and drafted J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. He was my favorite corner. His ranginess, his length, his instincts. I just love everything about him, and I think that's a phenomenal way to build your team. They went all defense last season, and that defense is just going to get even better now with J.C. Horn and with year two with lots of these other guys, Derek Brown. I think what the Carolina Panthers did is they're trying to fix Sam Donald. If Sam Donald doesn't get fixed, then move on, get another quarterback. And in the meantime, they're building a strong defense to essentially, you know, eventually win the division because that is the plan for 
that uh, Matt Rule, their head coach. I already talked about the Bears. I, I, really, I really like the Bears pick as well. But for me, the last team, actually, there's two more teams I want to talk about. First team, the Cleveland Browns, dude. What was, for me, the last year, there are two teams that weren't legitimate Super Bowl contenders who were really good in the regular season. It was the Cleveland Browns and it was the Tennessee Titans. And both of them were just bad, atrocious on defense. They couldn't stop anything and mostly they couldn't stop the pass. And the Browns realized this and they went out and drafted Greg Newsom out of, what was he? Northwestern, I think. The, another phenomenal quarterback, quarter cornerback. He can, his hips extremely fluid. He knows how to cover people. This guy has the range. He knows he has everything you want to be a legitimate corner. I love it. Pairing him with Denzel Ward, uh, Greedy Williams, anyone else who plays corner there. I love that. Right? You're going to be able to defend the pass even more, better better now. Now, second round, they draft the JOK, Jeremiah Wusukuramoa, in the second round from Notre Dame. He's a safety nickel cornerback sort of linebacker hybrid. Another game, uh, another guy who can cover receivers, cover tight ends, cover running backs. Your passing defense just improved exponentially with those two players alone. Then on top of that, uh, in the pre- in free agency, they went out and they signed Jadavion Clowney. They sp- they paired him with Miles Garrett. Garrett. They drafted Tommy Togiai. They got Marvin Wilson in free agency, the defensive tackle out of FSU who had a really lackluster, I guess, season in 2020, but his 2019 tape, he was a first-rounder. He should not have gone undrafted. I personally would have drafted him. Uh, they're getting back John uh, Grant Delpit from injury. Richard LeConte was someone who they drafted, uh, the safety. I think I think he was Oklahoma State. He had a motorcycle injury, uh, and then he also had an, a torn ACL, which is why he also went pretty late. John Johnson, Grant Delpit coming back from injury. Uh, John Johnson, the free agency signing from the Rams at safety. This pass defense is extremely improved, and they're going to be able to rush the passer even more with a legitimate threat outside of Miles Garrett with Jadavion Clowney. I really love what the Browns did. And then on top of that, their offensive, I guess, offensive-minded head coach, um, Kevin Stefanski, he realized, you know what? All these other guys, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, they all have their gimmicky players. And I don't, I, I hate where they drafted this player. But Anthony Schwartz, the wide receiver out of Georgia, I want to say Georgia. Um, no, um, no, Auburn, Auburn. I'm just thinking about the, these teams off the top of my head. It's been a while since I've looked at these draft teams. But I, I pretty much took a, like a month off after the draft because I just couldn't be bothered to look at this film or look at these players anymore. Anthony Schwartz, the legitimate track star speed. He's going to be that, I guess, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. I don't, I'm not going to say Tyreek Hill, but that speedster for this team that they, they lack. And I really like what the Browns did. They, they added more explosiveness to their offense. And then on top of that, they're going to fix that passing defense and rush the passer even more. And that this, to me, makes them a legitimate Super Bowl team. I love what they did. The Browns are, to me, one of the biggest winners in the draft. Now, finally, the last team I want to talk about, the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos drafted everything but quarterback. And you've got to think that maybe they know something. Maybe they have like, you know, like a behind-the-scenes handshake deal for Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or something. Or maybe they're just willing to really run it back with Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, and they're willing to essentially throw the season away and know that we're wasting another season of a good roster just because we're not going to, I guess, pull the trigger on a quarterback, right? 
for me, the Broncos are the best team without a quarterback. And they solidified that. Everyone's going to sort of, everyone's going to get mad at them. And I was extremely mad at them for passing on Justin Fields with a ninth overall pick and instead drafting Patrick Sertain, the cornerback out of Alabama. Yeah, makes sense. Like, why would you do that? Right. But what, what did the Broncos do with their draft? They made their team even better. And honestly, like you just got to look at the Broncos depth chart. What they have at corner right now, they have uh, Patrick Sertain. They have uh, like they, the players they're getting back from injury as well. Seth Williams, who they just drafted out of Auburn, another big body wide receiver. Quinn Miners, just adding more offensive line depth. You got Javante Williams, the running back, who's going to succeed, be the successor for Melvin Gordon. Phenomenal running back. This guy, his contract balance is ridiculous. It's nutty. Uh, the Brandon Baron Browning, the linebacker out of Ohio State, Patrick Williams, uh, Patrick Sertain, rather. This team is so good, and Caden Stearns also the uh, the safety out of Texas, and M. I want to say Tech. No, he's the Longhorns. What they did is they're building a phenomenal team. They got Von Miller back. That team is the best team without a quarterback, and I just think this draft might low key go. I guess under the radar or hated on because of the fact that they passed on a quarterback. And if Drew Locke sucks and Terry, Teddy Bridgewater sucks, which Teddy Bridgewater will never suck, but he'll never be like phenomenal. If those things happen, then everyone's going to hate on this draft class because they pass on the quarterback. But I think low key, their draft was really nice. And I think they built, they're going to build a strong running game. They already have great receivers uh, with Cortland Sutton, Sutton coming back. They're building a strong defense, even stronger than what it was before. They just need a quarterback, and I've just got to pray that maybe Drew Locke takes the next step forward and he takes a a leap, or they're able to get a quarterback in 2022, or they get Aaron Rodgers or someone, because this roster is just too good to waste. That talent is sitting there, and it's just waiting to win the division and make a playoff run, but they're just being held back. Yeah, that is it for me. Um, I think... I really like all these drafts. I think all these teams took a legitimate step forward. Um, some of them are going to be Super Bowl teams. Some of them aren't. Um, but yeah, I really like this this podcast as well. <laughs> now I'm just rambling. But it's hot out here. I'm going to call it quits today. And I just hope you enjoyed listening. Um, and if you disagree with any of my takes, leave it in the comments. Uh, or you know, give this podcast a follow, a review, all that fun stuff. If you don't like my opinions just let me know why because i'm willing to debate debate people and stand by what i think unless there's no information out but that is it for me thanks for listening peace out and bye